Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. 6.30 Chad Inside Sports with Reed Wilkins. Weekdays at 6 on 6.30 Chad. Edmonton's home for breaking news on your favorite teams. This is Inside Sports with Reed Wilkins on the voice of your Edmonton Oilers and Eskimos. 6.30 Chad. All right, good to have you along for the ride this evening. Football in this time slot tomorrow, Eskimos Bombers. The coverage will start at 5 with the pregame show. Morley and Dave in Winnipeg to bring you that one. The football news today, one of the legends of the CFL, Don Matthews, passing away at the age of 77. Three separate stints on the Eskimos coaching staff, including the boss in 1999 and 2000. One of his players was Chris Morris, now the head coach of the U of A Golden Bears and offensive lineman at the time. Chris, welcome back to Inside Sports. How are you doing? I'm doing great, Reed. Thanks for having me on. Yeah, well, I appreciate you taking the time to join me tonight. Obviously, a lot of people talking about uh, Don Matthews, uh, an incredible career in the Canadian Football League including a couple of years as your head coach in 99 and 2000 with the Edmonton Eskimos. What do you remember about having Don as your head coach? I just, he was, he's a really good guy. He's really good at keeping guys accountable in the locker room. So he was, to me, that his biggest strength was making sure that he, you know, he could keep both the Canadian guys that have been around quite a while and the young American guys motivated and feeling good about things, which is sometimes where it's hard to do for some guys. So he had a good way of reaching out to everybody and making sure that everybody was sort of moving in the same direction. Somebody told me that he was so good at motivating players and making you feel like you were a better player maybe than you had been or that you could achieve things that that you hadn't achieved before. Did that rub off on you at all? Yeah, you know what? It's funny with him because his first year here, I can remember Coach Matt coming up to me and saying, look, you understand something. He comes in and he's going to cut one or two guys that are veterans, that are good players that um, should probably be here, but he's going to send a message. And he goes, you make sure that you take care of things so that you're not one of those guys. Got a good relationship with Coach Matt, obviously, right? So I can remember just that being a big motivator for me when he first got here. So he said, I'm not going to be a guy who shows anything on film that would allow him to cut me, right? So that that was a big piece for me, like that, to motivate me. But then it got even better after. So after the first year, you know, there was a couple things that happened during the year where where I think he grew to, you know, grew to respect me and to count on me a little bit. And then at the end of the year, he's like, look, you know you're one of my guys now. Like, you're, you're here. This is what's going to happen, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. So it's just, he had way, different ways to get you motivated, I think, when he first got there. And then when you became one of his guys in the team that he knew he was going to be counting on for leadership and for, for a lot of things, he'd have different ways to bring you under his wing. And I think that was really, really good. You know, he he was a defensive coordinator uh, when he when he wasn't a head coach. He usually handled the defensive side of the ball. Um, as as a guy who was on the offensive line, Chris, was he when it came to the X's and O's? Do you think he was more attached to what was happening defensively, or how do you remember the strategic aspect of his personality? 
you know what, he was really good defensively, and I think he spent a lot of time with the defensive room. But I can still remember, like, he was a, he was a team culture guy. And I remember, I still remember him coming into the locker room at one point during the preseason, and we played kind of a kind of a soft half and he was like man I don't know maybe this is a finesse team maybe we're we're just going to be a real finesse team this year be really skillful and just not very physical and that was enough to like for the guys we played with on the old line then that was like <laughs> called a war right it was like <laughs> we almost fought him right there right so it was like he just you know, he knew how to motivate a team right he knew how to get guys going on a team he knew you know certain guys need not to be talked to very much and some guys needed to be kicked in the ass a little bit so he, he was very good at knowing which was which Chris, thanks for those memories. We appreciate that time, uh, uh, your time, and we'll talk some U of A football next time we have you on. Sounds great, Reed. Thanks very much. Chris Morris checking in tonight, U of A Golden Bears football coach and uh, obviously a former Edmonton Eskimo, played from 92 to 2005. So two years he had Don Matthews as his head coach. We had Jed Roberts on the show uh, earlier. Certainly a lot of uh, stories and memories of Don Matthews. My name is Reed Wilkins. Kevin Carius from Global Television is in studio. I mean, I really like that one because there are a lot of ways to motivate Kevin. I always say there aren't a lot of... There aren't, I mean, Jason Moss did yell earlier in camp, but you got to pick your spots. There aren't a lot of guys who actually tip garbage cans and punch uh, punch pop machines anymore. So Don Matthews just walked in one day and said, well, I guess we're a soft team. We'll just win with finesse. And all of a sudden that woke everybody up a bit, eh? There's many ways to go about it, isn't there? Um, you know, when you look back, Don Matthews wasn't exactly media-friendly. Um that I think a lot of media people would agree with that. But one thing he was, was a player's coach. I mean, just by listening to all the comments that we had today and you had today just now with Chris and Jason Moss, you know, there isn't anything that almost every player wouldn't do for Don Matthews to help the team win and be on the right page. And and that's, as a coach, I mean, that's a not all coaches are like that because it doesn't work that way it seems because you're either with the coach there's that old saying about having so many guys with you so many guys against you and a bunch of guys in the middle but I mean when you get and if you weren't in that inner circle with Don with with Don Matthews then you weren't getting in there mm-hmm. and that's one thing that I'll always remember about covering him uh, my first time that I really really got into it with him was in 1995 at the Great Cup in Regina so he's coaching Baltimore and against Calgary in the in the Great Cup the first one that was at uh, Taylor Field and you know he had been in Regina before as as the riders coach and then left there under um bad circumstances you yep. know to put it very bluntly he he Would didn't, Ford been his GM I think you know but he didn't leave on yeah. great terms that's you know yeah. he didn't leave on great and terms and that happened in his yeah. career for sure absolutely and at that time so I was cover I was working in Saskatoon and I went down to cover the Great Cup for the whole Saskatchewan CTV network whatever it was called back then I can't remember Baton Broadcasting made him in but um at the time in Regina, Don Hewitt was basically, he was a producer for CKCK-TV, which was the CTV affiliate. Been, the, been there forever. And he told me when, the head, when they had the coaches' news conference back then, he says, you got to go after Don Matthews for wh- wh- why he left. What were the circumstances? Why did he leave on bad terms? So I did. And... I he he was he came right back at me and I mean he said you know he basically gave me the whole total runaround and like I said that's twenty 
two years ago. Yeah. So, I mean, I probably didn't know how to handle it as a younger reporter, but he really came back right at me and said, you don't even know what you're talking about, basically. So that was one of the few things that I really remember about covering Don Matthews over the years. You, you would have been in, uh, no, I, I, I remember watching this news conference on TV in 2002. So, I mean, let's face it, in 2001, he was the coach at the start of training camp. Don't forget. Mm, and and yeah, something was, happened. There was a breakdown in a relationship and, and he's gone and Higgins comes in. Uh, and he goes to Montreal, and lo and behold, in 2002, it's Edmonton, Montreal, in Edmonton for the Grey Cup. And I remember him being, you you might have been at this, mm-hmm. Kevin, because you would have been in Edmonton. Yeah. I, I, I remember him being asked about that while you're playing your former team and animosity, hard feelings. And I just remember him saying something along the lines like, I'm not answering any of those types of questions, <laughs> and if they're asked again, I'm going to bid you all farewell. And he probably would have done it. He oh, probably yeah. would have walked out of a mandatory news conference. Uh, one Were you at that uh, one? Uh, yes, I was. Yeah. And one, of the, one of the other things that he was very, um, at, ca- at training camps especially, wherever it was, because he was at a lot of them with different teams, so right. you had the opportunity to, to see how he um, reacted to the media. He never ever called, like when you get the, the depth chart and it comes right out, depth chart, and you have five guys at training camp at each position and someone would ask him, so on your depth chart, so-and-so is two, three, whatever, he would never ever say, he would go, well, that's not a depth chart. It's a positional chart. So it doesn't matter if Jason Moss at that time would have been ranked fourth or fifth or right. third, whatever or first or whatever it was and in 2000 and that first year it was ever never ever called to him to the media depth chart it was always positional chart you know interesting figure I, I, I when i interviewed jed roberts earlier i, I said use the uh, use the term larger than life and, and 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 jed and jed said that he was the type of guy if he was in a room he, he he was never one to sit back. Probably even if it was not well, a football meeting, he was. You always knew Don Matthews was there. The other thing that the players that like that they like Don how he lived. He was uh, like I mean he's your Kenny Stabler kind of guy, right. right? Like you know he's got the motorcycle, he's got the younger women, and he he's flaunted got the swagger. Yeah. He flaunted it all, and the players said, "I want to buy into that." And as long as we're winning, you can do whatever you want. And that's what happened. Right. But as you said, uh, you know, Regina, certainly something happened here in Edmonton, uh-huh. even Toronto. Um, a lot well, of times... He's, he's a coach that has a shelf life. He was, yeah, right. he, would, he was the alpha male, so yeah. as as a coach. I and mean, he wasn't always the, his own he, GM. So sometimes his own GM was like, Don, at some point you got to listen to me, right? When when he, wherever he got hired, he would have been your guy that said, okay, I'll, you know, I'm shaking hands and kissing babies on day one. <laughs> right. But then he's not going to listen to and take any crap after that. And he's one of the guy, few guys in the world that said, that goes, well, I don't have a boss. And everyone, 99.99% of ever have, everybody has a boss, <laughs> right? right? But so he would, he'd say, well, I don't care if it's Jim Pop, Hugh Campbell, Al Ford, whoever it is, wherever I am, I don't have a boss. And that's kind of how he went about things. Yeah. yeah second winningest coach in the uh, history of the Canadian Football League, 10 Grey Cups, five as a head coach. Uh, and then we mentioned the two-year stint as the, as the head coach here in Edmonton. And he was, uh, don't forget, uh, you know, he was the defensive coordinator for the five in a row. So linebackers coach in 77, D.C. 78 to 82. They, they win five in a row. You know, he, like Cal Murphy, mm-hmm. all the good assistants go on to coach elsewhere, right? Comes back to Edmonton in 89, still the best 
record of all time, 16-2, and two, though they did not win the Great Cup. to Saskatchewan, little, little right? team from Saskatchewan yeah. uh, got their noses in there. But, yeah, I mean, he did – and known for his aggression, especially on defense. Uh, and then it cost well, him. Oh, three Grey Cup. What happened? He started a couple of rookies, and Ricky Ray was coming mm-hmm. into his own, and Jason Tucker was coming into his own, and they went to town. You know, we ended up talking to Hugh Campbell today, um, and he was back driving in Idaho. I think he was in Idaho, and we got a hold of him. And a bit, you know, he was with Don, you know, since high school. Yeah. So they came over, based came to Canada, kind of together, and got their coaching kind of career going together. So you know, he, Hugh Campbell was kind of very appreciative of you know all their time that they spent. And to your point about being, um, like Hugh said, he was a defensive mind back then. Like he he was way ahead of the game in his schemes and 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 his communication. That's two of the big things you know that Don Matthews, as a defensive guru, if you want to call it that, will be remembered by. Yeah. I saw a great quote today. I, I can't remember who wrote it now, but some, some somebody said we'd spent all week working on a defensive game plan. Don would walk out of the toilet with stuff scribbled down, and it'd be better than what we spent all week <laughs> thinking about. Kevin Carey, Assistant Studio. My name is Reed Wilkin, Inside Sports uh, on six thirty. Chad, we're going to talk about a, a big story for a former Oilers coach, a Saskatchewan boy, and a guy who's known for motivating his players too. When we get back, Inside Sports on Chad. This is J.C. Sheriff from your Edmonton Eskimos, and you're listening to Inside Sports with Reed Wilkins on 630 Chad. J.C. Sheriff, one of the many established Eskimos not expected to play tomorrow in Winnipeg. Dave Campbell typed up a list for me. It's, uh, well, it's all over half the stars. Riley White, Van McCarty. I'll just read it, Kevin. Riley White, Van McCarty, Bowman, Hazelton, Zilstra, Watson, Getzlaff, Chambers, Figueroa, Sorensen, O'Donnell, Howard, Willis, Sewell, Sherritt, Thompson, not expected to play, plus Young and Hightower are injured. Well, that's how it works. I always, I've always this said... This doesn't bother me, actually. No, no, not at it's all. It's not our job to sell tickets to a preseason that, game in Winnipeg. That's why I always think it's the best thing to have your second preseason game at home. If you can somehow finagle that, it's just so much better because all your starters are going to be playing to all your hometown fans. Yeah, well, I mean, they played... They were the final team to play a preseason game, yep. so they kind of had that extra stuff in camp. There's enough guys around, knew, though. You yeah. Know, you know, so. Yeah, it's going to be interesting. Uh... Yeah, I mean, the Duke Williams clearly made a huge impression, a wide receiver. And uh, I have been telling people, go read about his time at Auburn because it was uh, pretty uh, – he got into some trouble. So that's why he's here because they were looking at him for the NFL. So he's got he's to focus and, and play football and be a good teammate, which I think he will. Uh, Reed Wilkins, Kevin Carius, Inside Sports on 630. Chad Blue Jays now leading Tampa Bay 6-3 in the top of the seventh. Your scoreboard for Crystal Glass for all your glass needs, you can visit crystalglass.ca. So we were talking about Don Matthews. Uh, Todd Nelson, who people appreciated while he was the interim coach of the Edmonton Oilers a couple of years ago, he replaced Dallas Akins. Didn't obviously didn't have a good record for a team that wasn't very good. Uh, 17, 25, and nine did move him up from 30th to 28th, and that turned out to be magic because uh, because of that they won. Uh, they were in the right spot to win the draft lottery to draft Connor McDavid. He led Detroit's farm team to the Calder Cup, the AHL Championship, beating Syracuse 4-3 last night in Game Six. Uh, I'll just tee up here, Kevin. Um, you know, I got to know Todd a little bit uh, when he was the Oklahoma City coach, the right. Oilers farm team. Now it's in Bakersfield. Very down-to-earth guy, good Saskatchewan boy. Uh, as you know, 
you know, and I, I went back and was reading some stories today. He came out and said when they hired Aikens over him, he was hurt. He thought he put his time in with the organization, but he kept working. Um, really, he was just one of those guys. He comes across as the type of guy I think especially Prairie people like. I, I, and I, He's genuine. Very genuine, very down-to-earth, very hard work. And, and I remember Todd said to me once, um, and that Oilers team, they, that was a beaten-down team. I mean, they didn't like they didn't like playing for Aikens. They rarely won. Uh, he did a lot of work on the morale of that team, and he said, "You know, when when you want a championship team, sure you need the talent, but he's he really worked on morale because he said when you're playing games in April, May, June, and you're beat up and you're away from your family and you're around been around the same guys for eight or nine months, he said you better make sure they like each other because a lot of times the team that wins the championship is the team that doesn't want the season to end because they mm-hmm. want to keep spending time together. So good for him to get it done." Well, and you would think, why wouldn't he be getting a shot in the NHL at this point? Um, I would love to see him land in Buffalo. I don't exactly know who they're down to. I mean, you've heard the Jacques Martin rumors and mm-hmm. things like that. and But I, I I just don't know what more he has to accomplish. Um, you know, he's... he's kind of what you would call a career coach because yep. he started really young you know I got to interview him when he was you know when I was working back in Prince Albert in you know 25 years ago so you know our paths crossed a long time ago then and, you know obviously don't we don't hang around and don't hang around now but um, you know you could always see you know back in his you know when he was a younger guy that he was going to be a career coach and one of those guys that you know he didn't have to play you know a lot of NHL games or mm-hmm. get that experience in 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 that regard but he would build on his knowledge about the experiences that he took from all these other places that he played in you know uh, as far as the minor leagues and you learn so much more as a minor league guy that has the aspirations to move on and I mean look what he's accomplished now so I would love to see him get a get a shot finally I mean I think he's at the right age oh, yeah. he's obviously had a taste of it here I mean I don't know how much more um, he can learn or he can you know you're always learning but how much more uh, right there's take, a point yeah you know I think he's he's very well ready to to make that step and somebody uh, tweeted me uh, last last night only coach that had Anton Lander looking like an NHL player. <laughs> And one of the few times uh, Neil Yakupov looked like he was starting to figure it out, and and I think he helped uh, Justin Schultz a little bit as well. I mean, I know like Nelson told me he goes Yak was just a, a defeated man when he took him over. Well, you he have to be able to build a, your relationship with each individual, and if you can do that, then you're going to have that success. And if you do that individually, then next thing you know, you got a group of five, six, then you got a group of ten, twelve, and then you're like you're talking about you don't want the season to end. Now you got 25 guys all pulling the rope same time and that's when you have that chemistry and that's when you have success great for todd nelson all right when we get back i'm gonna ask kevin a question i asked some of you last night one nhl rule change he would like to see for next season we'll also touch on uh, we're gonna bring in victor valimaki to the show to talk a little bit about this floyd mayweather versus Connor mcgregor august 26th uh Either you're titillated by it or you're laughing at it. Or maybe both. Maybe you're interested in it because you're laughing at it. Uh, Victor will give us some slots there. Inside Sports on Chet. The 
this is Cam Talbot from your Edmonton Oilers, and you're listening to Inside Sports with Reed Wilkins on Oilers Radio 630 Chad. All right, thanks a lot for tuning in this evening. It is 7.33. My name is Reed Wilkins. Kevin Carius from Global Television sitting in with me until 8 o'clock. We got uh, the NHL Awards Night a week from tonight in Vegas, Las Vegas, and uh, the Vegas team will tell you who they're picking off the unprotected lists. Draft next Friday and Saturday. We'll have coverage from Chicago here on 6:30. Chad, going to be fun. A lot to talk about. Kevin, I have a question for oh you, my, my young, my wow. young friend. Oh, young. So you could make one rule change for the NHL next season. What would it be? Okay, it's going to be hard to describe, but I've been talking about this for a number of years, and it's to... Uh-oh. Uh, yeah, and, well, it's obviously... You got a, he's on a crusade, it's everybody! on deaf ears. Uh, he's, he's, <laughs> but it's kind of hard to explain on radio, but think about uh, face-offs and how they are so totally disadvantageous to certain players. Yes. Okay, so when you... St- when you're taking a, a offensive or defensive zone face-off, yep. you see you line up and you have the upside-down L, as it were, on both sides of where your skates oh, are. Oh, for right? the feet, yes. For the feet. Okay. Which is more of a suggestion than a rule. Right. So what has to, what I'm proposing <laughs> is that those, the upside-down L and the opposite upside-down L, mm-hmm. be spread out another, figure it out. If it's a foot, if it's 14 inches or whatever... And then they come back a couple of inches as well. What that will do is the player's skates then will have to be on the outside if they're left-handed draw or a right-handed shot draw. Their skates have to be on the outside of those lines. And basically, it forces both centermen to square up totally the same. Their feet will have to be... Basically, they're, 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 it'll force them to be totally square with their opponent th- at that time. So you're widening out their stance and you're making them reach a little more. I'm not. They're they're not forced to. Their stance will be the same. But if it's wider, if you though, th- think, yeah, it's wider because that the one thing is going to be over more. You're only moving one of them or both, both of them? Oh, you're moving both Both. Them. So they're both. not in line. They're not centered they're on not, the dock they're not, then. They'll be centered, but out of out a couple of more inches. So your foot's still going to have to be on that one. Yeah. So what happens now is the guys cheat so much. If if you're, take, if you're a left-handed face-off man and you're taking a draw to the left of your goaltender in your defensive zone. Okay. Basically, as a face-off man, your f- right foot or pardon me, your left foot is going to be very close to the dot because you want that advantage to sweep the puck back to the corner. What this is doing is pushing you over more to your left and making sure that now there's no other way to do it because your stick is going to be lined up in the middle. Oh, you don't. Okay. You don't have that op- that option to be swung over to the side. This is incredibly technical. Back. What possibly made you think about this? Well, because too many guys cheat in the faceoff dot, and that's what happens. What it'll also do is it allow the linesman a better opportunity to drop a fair puck, because right now the guys are so their heads are butting against each other, mm-hmm. and they're also on that basically opposite angle because both guys are trying to get that advantage. Right. So what it does, it squares those guys up. It gives the linesman a couple extra inches because, like I said, it's going to widen and it's going to back away from the face-off dot. Figure it out. How I've, the, I've never heard anything like this before. Well, it's because I invented it. Well, I know. I was just going to say, I don't know if you're brilliant or crazy. 
Well, that's you where just most wait. great ideas come from. Well, wait once it <laughs> once it gets wind here, uh, you know, in about ten years it gets changed. Wouldn't that be something? Well, remember what curious that, was that, that is it. Yeah, someday I'll be giving you credit. Uh, well, probably not. Uh, <laughs> that that's a, that's really interesting. I I I, I would not have thought of that. I I just want to see. I think a lot of people just want to see more of the rules called. Yeah, the way they're written. When you think about it, I, I don't know the exact how wide those the L, if you wanted for lack of better terms, the upside down L. And I'm not sure. I'd have L. to look up the dimensions. I think it's probably about six to eight inches. So widen it, whatever, because now that makes sure that now your skate's gonna have to be left left or right skate. It's gonna have to be on the left side more or the right side, depending on where you're taking the draw. But don't you think the best face-off guys would still be the best face-off guys and they'd find new ways to cheat? Fair enough. But I no, I don't think that... But it's evening it out, Reed, is what it's doing. It's evening out the planks because you're, you're forcing both guys to be square. Okay, but why why are you trying to find a way for guys who aren't good at face-offs to uh, close the gap? Uh, it's not I mean, about... Should they, should they, it's more about cheating on the draw. Should Steph Curry have to shoot it's, from a farther three-point no, line because he's so more good? About, it's more about cheating on face-offs with your feet alignment as it is. Like, I remember talking to Craig McTavish about face-offs 10 years ago or maybe 12 years ago. He would said he would purposely lose most of his draws in in the neutral zone because he would... Either look, he, he would give a guy that he was up against a false sense of what he was going to do in a very important face-off, or he would try to find a little bit of intel on what that guy was going to do, Fair strengths, enough. weaknesses, etc. Sure. So these, you know, these guys are so smart on the draws. Think, okay, go back to Boyd, you know, and they almost went to a rule with no knees down, like Boyd Gordon used to. Because that's how he does it all the time. Exactly. Yeah. You know, that'd be hard to enforce, though. The just like somebody texted yesterday and said outlaw intentional shot blocking. Well, every shot blocking is intentional. I mean, (laughs) every shot block, the guy's hooked. If you're standing anywhere in front of the net, yeah, you don't mind if hit. you block a shot. You're going to get hit. That, 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 that is an interesting one, Kevin. That, that's, I, you that's know what? Great. You need to have a video presentation on this because it's no, very think, hard to I, do I, it. I think the 14 people who are listening are imaginative <laughs> enough to oh, understand I, exactly I so. exactly what you what you were saying. Uh, what did we have here in the uh, text line? Rocket says, lose the referee's ability to blow a play down when he loses sight of the puck. Him blowing the whistle. And the whistle as the final decision should be overturned by video replay if the puck was indeed loose. Hmm, I wonder where he got that idea. Game six, Nashville. <laughs> uh, this texture says the rule that needs to change. Uh, you know what? I'm not. Uh, this texture says about the trapezoid. What I would love to see is, I would love to see the trapezoid still there, but goalies be allowed to play the puck, but they can't cover the puck there. I miss the days where goalies could also play in the corner. More goals could be created or really good plays made. Uh, we don't talk about, a lot about the trapezoid anywhere. There are some people who think it should be the opposite for the trapezoid, that you can't play the puck right behind the net, but you can wander out to the corner. So it makes it... Well, that, risk, getting back to your, your point about penalizing more talented and gifted players, that was not what that was all about. Mm-hmm. You know? True. So... Brodeur. Yeah. Textile. Kelly Rudy said last night that he thinks a hand pass should be a penalty in your own zone because right now you can just do it. I mean, long, a long time ago, yeah. it would be a blow the play dead, but then they realized guys were doing it on purpose just to get a whistle when yeah. they're hemmed in their own end. But, but what about making it a penalty? Well, I heard like we were talking about that off air and the fact that it's a penalty as it is in the faceoff circle. 
Yeah, that's you know? new. So yeah. when you pull it back and you use your hand to pull the puck back in the face-off circle, it's a penalty. Yeah. So... I, I, my big thing is I, I just think more of the junk away from the away from the puck needs to be called because I, I, I mean, why should if you and I are battling for the puck put your headphones on Kevin because we're gonna have a phone call okay. uh, if you and I are battling for the puck fine maybe we're gonna slash a little bit you're gonna elbow me in the chest I'm gonna give you a little whack but then once the puck is cleared and we're changing why on the crossover at the chain should I be able to you know, whack you on your wrist, or why should you be able to cross-check me in the lower back when we're making a line change? Well, we went through this a long time ago, too. Well, not a long, but about six weeks ago, talking about, well, yeah, just, you know, everything with the, you know, and I was very, you, you weren't as adamant about the, you know, the parallel to the ice stick that, that I was. Like, you you kind of like that stuff, the hitting, slashing, whacking on the on the hands or what. Well, I don't like it, but I I do I do think more has to be allowed on the puck carrier. Oh, I don't think so. Why Why do you want to limit? Why do you want a guy like Connor McDavid to go flying through the neutral zone, get two tugs on his wrist and a slash on his hand? No, I think if no, hold on. I think if a guy is uh, I think if a guy is fouled from a from a player in a position of from by a beaten player, that should be a penalty. Well, most of the most of the time, that's what it is. You're not you're not leaning in to hook on a guy or leaning in to give a little tap on a guy if you right. have him covered and you're in a better position physically and a better position on the ice to make the check legally. Fair the reason, the but, reason okay, as a player when you're on the thing, no, I prioritize it, stuff right. away from the puck. Yeah, but if you're a player on the ice, the, the reason you are giving that is because you're scared if you don't do that, right. well, you're going to get look even worse. You're going to get beaten on the play. That's why you're doing it. We got Jim on the line. Go ahead, Jim. Hey there. You know, I, I've been watching hockey since the early '60s. That tells you how old I am. But I can tell you, I don't ever recall seeing guys blocking shots in the '60s and '70s like they do now. And shot blocking is not going away, guys. It's not going anywhere as long as it, it's now another tool in their toolbox. Sure. The only way it's going, the only way it's going away is the outlaw. Do you know why there was no shot blocking then? Why? Because the the Sears catalogs that the players were wearing as shin pads, you know, the puck hurt hurt when you got hit with those things. Yeah, the equipment uh, yeah, changed quite a bit. Well, yeah, you're right. The guys weren't even wearing helmets back then. You're absolutely right. So I, I guess that's true. But still, shot block is not going away. There's no way. No, it, it isn't. It, it, it's a tool. I mean, let's face it. It's a tool. And particularly if you have a weaker goaltender, you know, a, a guy that's bad in the five hole, you're going to see shot blocking all the time. Thanks, Jim. Appreciate Thank it, buddy. 780-496-0063. Uh, good debate. It's 744. we got to take a quick break. Inside Sports on Chad. This is Mark Letestu from your Edmonton Oilers, and you're listening to Inside Sports with Reed Wilkins on Oilers Radio 630 Chad. Five for the Blue Jays leading Tampa Bay in the top of the eighth. Tampa Bay with runners on first and third, only one out, so they are threatening there. Thanks a lot for tuning in tonight. Inside Sports on a 6.30 Chet. Uh, we're talking about rule changes. Uh, Martin says uh, players should have to have the top hand right on the top of their stick on faceoffs, and they should not be allowed to go to their knees to win draws. 
another texter says, uh, what do you do about the blatant missed calls like Getzlaff and Kessler in the Anaheim games? They got away with murder. The refs should be uh, more accountable. Yeah, there's two things to it, right? There's the wording of the rule, and then there's the enforcement of the rule. It's not always the ref's fault if they're calling it the way they're told, right? So the, sometimes you have to separate that. But people care; they care about the great game of hockey. That's why we. That's why we get the. Uh, that's why we get the feedback here. So, on August twenty sixth in Las Vegas, what are they calling that? That new T Mobile, T Mobile, T Mobile, Ken Dial, Ken Dial. It's going to be a boxing match, Floyd Mayweather. September 2015, I think, his last fight. Isn't he 41? Mm-hmm. Against Conor McGregor, who's a UFC guy. So they're going to box. Kevin's what? speechless. Yeah. He, can't, he can't believe it. We got Victor uh, Valabaki uh, from the uh, big local MMA guy. Victor, we talked to you a few weeks ago uh, on a different topic about the UFC coming to Edmonton. This is a little different, isn't it? <laughs> are you shaking your head or are you excited? I'm on the fence about this one, to be honest. Uh, it's uh, you know, as a fighter, it's kind of fun to see. Eh? Like people, people want to pay. They, you know, they're going to pay. I think it's a hundred bucks, a uh, hundred bucks a pay per view. So they're going to pay for it. But I mean, it's it's exciting. I, I I don't have a lot of high hopes for McGregor, but it'll be a it'll be fun to watch, anyways. Uh, so can okay, give us a sense of when McGregor is in is in UFC doing the mixed martial arts what what are his strengths usually like do you think they translate into all of a sudden just being in a boxing match it's a different world i mean the whole the whole game i mean he McGregor is known as you know he's a good striker but it, it changes the game a lot when you know, you have to you have to worry about the guy taking you down and or slamming you on your head or there's kicks involved it 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 uh it changes the it changes the whole aspect of the game and over committing to punches and uh, so it just changes everything. So you know McGregor, or sorry uh, Mayweather's been in there against like the who's who of, of boxing, and and he barely gets punched against the best best boxers in the world. So I I, I don't see how McGregor is going to show him anything that he hasn't seen before <laughs> a thousand times. Vic, do you, do you think when you look at this as a I mean this is all it's all about money. Everything usually is. Um, I think that Mayweather Pacquiao was one of the highest grossing ones. Is that safe to say as far as the boxing angle goes? What would be, could you compare this? Is this going to be the, blow everything off the charts, charts when you combine basically the two sports as far as pay-per-view and tickets and money and hype and everything like that? I think it's going to break some records. Um, you know, it, it's just that. It's just that it's a hyped fight. They're going to throw so much money in behind in behind this the, the promotion of this fight. So it'll be... It'll be huge, and you know, even UFC's getting on board. I mean, they signed off to allow McGregor to, to take the fight, so I imagine UFC's going to end up pushing a lot of uh, a lot of their marketing dollars towards this too. So it'll be it'll be it's going to be a big fight, and uh, you know, unfortunately, the the Mayweather Pacquiao fight wasn't exactly the, the most exciting mm-hmm. one, but you know, however this fight goes, it's going to be exciting. You know, McGregor's going to come out hard and. And he's probably going to get knocked out pretty quick. But, you know, at least it's, he's going to go down get knocked out instead of a drawn out. Okay, so what's going to be more entertaining? Oh, sorry, Vic. What's going to be more entertaining, the fight itself or McGregor running his mouth for the next three months? <laughs> <laughs> See, I actually like McGregor just for that fact. You know, he he does it pretty intelligently. It's it's funny to watch anyways. You know, there's a lot of guys who, you know, who beat other opponents, but they don't seem to have the same, uh, same finesse that he does. So it's going to be a lot of fun. And, 
you know, I, I personally can't stand Mayweather as a person, and <laughs> you know, listening to him talk just just like banging your head on the wall. So, I, th- I think McGregor's going to carry a lot of the a lot of the the hype train on this one. How do you think he's going to react? Like once he gets in the ring for this. Um, as you know, like when you're when you when you're fighting and you've in all your experiences, sometimes like when you have that instinct kick in, and you end up going to an old move or something like that, MMA wise, and he won't be able to do anything like this. So how's he going to kind of corral that and make sure that he just sticks to kind of boxing? I guess it's not as bad as you think. <laughs> you know, we we train different different ways of training all the time, different modalities. Like we do a lot of boxing training, we do a lot of wrestling training like we, we usually separate them and you know there's usually not that that issue so i don't think that'll be an issue at all for him to come out and, and just focus on focus on boxing and you know he's got that irish background to him too so I, you know he's you know he's he's got that that, that boxing background in his blood mm-hmm. i don't think it'll be i don't think that's gonna be an issue I, i've done a few boxing fights myself and it was never mm-hmm. uh never even really a thought of mine okay um what about do you think that mcgregor would have taken this on had mayweather been Ten years ago, in his prime, would would McGregor even think of doing this? I think he would. Yeah. McGregor. One thing you got to give that guy: he's very mentally tough. He's you know he he's very focused and motivated. And I, I think he would. Uh, I, don't, I don't know if the opportunity would have been there ten years ago, but um, you know Mayweather he hasn't slowed down, and his his fights even. I think he's what is he forty one, forty two, and he's still. He still looks great. I'm not a, a huge fan of his style, but he, he looks great. He's a good boxer, obviously. Um, you know, even, even at his age now, I just I think he's years ahead of McGregor in the boxing world. All right. Well, that's going to be fun to follow this throughout the summer, Victor. Before we let you go, uh, anything you can tell us about the uh, card for September 9th when UFC comes to Rogers Place. I know you and I spoke a few weeks ago. Any uh, developments uh, with that or anything going on locally people should know about? Well, you know, I think there's a, I think there's a good chance Shane going to be on the card. Um, this is just rumors. Um, you know, I, I haven't heard anything directly, but Shane Campbell just recently won the unified belt uh, in Edmonton this past, this past Friday, and he was just recently cut from UFC, but he's he's won a couple fights since then. So, just rumors. I think he's going to be on it. Um, Sheldon Westcott's another local UFC fighter who's, who's doing really well. I imagine he's going to be on. It. Again, just 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 rumors. I guess that vibe GSP is going to be on this card. Uh, no one's, you know, I don't even know why I have a reason to say that, but I think GSP is going to be on this card. You think St. Pierre's comeback is going to be in Edmonton in three months? I, I don't. I don't have any reason to believe that. I got that vibe. Uh, you know, talking with local and things like this. You know, I, I have that feeling it's going to happen. Well, wow, that'd be a huge story. All right, Victor, thanks for giving us that nugget. Thanks, Vic. Talk yeah, to you soon, you buddy. Guys. Well, that that'd be a story. Yeah, uh, when uh, <laughs> even we know that when uh, Bob Nicholson was in uh, Anaheim and basically kind of talked to all yep. of the reporters about, you know, the UFC coming here, that was one of the first things that was brought up. And you know, he said, "Well, I don't have any, you know, any inkling on who's going to be, but uh, and I know everyone wants to see him here." Yeah, that'd be that'd be uh, incredible for that building. Uh, all right, so thanks to Victor Valmacki for that. Uh, I just thought, I don't know. To me, there's. I mean, Vic basically said it. McGregor's going to get crushed. Mm-hmm. But they're going to make millions of dollars each, and people are going to buy it Hundreds for the millions. novelty. Hundreds of millions. Yeah, and guys are going to pay for it. Dana White's going to make... Dana White's going to be pumping it all summer. And I guess, like, if McGregor gets destroyed... 
I mean, can, okay, here's the thing. We're, I, we're no, we're tight for time, Kevin. Can only Mayweather really lose? Because he almost can't dominate it by enough. I don't know. You know what I mean? I mean like, he's 41 he, years old. But he's, but still, you think he's in good shape. and Well, you know, it's not like he's fighting a guy that's just getting off the couch. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe you and I could fight oh, him. Yeah, sure. We'll both fight him. $100 pay-per-view. Next summer. <laughs> <laughs> 100 bucks paper. London Dairy Arena. Me and Carrius against Mayweather. It's going to be beautiful. Oh, Tomorrow, 5 o'clock, free game show. Eskimos, Bombers. Then they'll kick off at 6.30. Thanks to Kellen Kennedy, the studio producer. The producer of the show is Dave Campbell. Thanks to everybody who called and texted. You miss anything, go to the Inside Sports page on 630Ched.com. Talk to you on uh, Friday for the next edition of our show. Six thirty, Chad. Inside Sports with Reed Wilkins, weekdays at six on Six Thirty, Chad.